Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Before we dive into today's video, I want to remind everybody that we do have a Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon, brand new for the new year. Join up there and you can watch all of our videos early. You get a little bit of extra access to us and you can beat the Kayfabe effect by knowing uh, what, what books we're going to cover before we actually make it live to the general pop. So we appreciate everybody that's joined in there so far and we invite you to uh, take that next step with us. Also, a reminder that we are working cartoonists. The way we keep the lights on is by selling books. So we appreciate it if you pick up our books in your local bookstore or comic book shop. You can see our bibliographies here. Red Room, X-Men Grand Design, Hip Hop Family Tree, WYSIWYG from Ed, Hulk Grand Design, Street Angel, Plain Janes from me, and you can get our books wherever books are sold. So today we are going to look at wizard number 51 continuing our wizard coverage this is november 1995 so our uh, history of comics through the 90s with wizard as our guide and uh, man right off the bat this digital painting stuff whenever it starts off boy a lot of people i guess got on board and we've joked about it before like this is what you put your tracing paper over and put the ink line in there they forgot the black layer ed <laughs> it's true man i think there's no less than three covers that, that had this exact approach so they really must have uh you know this must is cutting edge technology but the thing is with the bleeding edge there is blood there will be blood <laughs> and uh this is pretty bloody uh we'll get more into it because i believe this is from the fleer cards yes. that were by the q Berts, including joe yes and uh let's just save it for that but uh lest you forget yeah this is fucking garbage <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing, if you do cutting edge, it is going to age. Yeah. So, you know, two years later or something probably is when this started to feel a little bit old. But it does give you a snapshot, I, I think, from a technology standpoint of where we are. I was here. At the, I was buying these. Um, it was shitty as fuck to me then. I thought it was just garbage. It's funny because in a lot of ways, I feel like this is where we are today in terms of you don't have to ink books. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's not even paper and ink in most of the comics that we see nowadays. So in a weird way, this is the direction the market took, but this was the earliest version of that technology. And uh, it definitely was visible at this <laughs> yeah. stage. The other thing I'll say about context, November, 1995, I'm a freshman in college yeah. and my comics, I am moving away from comics. I had gone to IUP, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. They had a comic book store there. I think it was Patty's paperback. I always get confused because they would supply a number of comic shops, including the one that I could reach that was a little bit closer to me. So I would see that on their back issue boards. You know how comic shops would stamp where they came from. Indiana was the source of my back issues. And I was so excited to, to, to go to school there and see this comic shop. They closed mm. while I was there. And so like, I really end up away from comics, but by 95, fall of 95, like wizard, this kind of artwork, I was completely gone. You know, I was looking at indie stuff at that point if I was looking at anything. So Pre this is new to me. Yeah, Preacher was the uh, the only, like I would get Preacher, I would have a monthly subscription. Well, I on my pool list was Madman, Preacher, um, very, very few, definitely no Marvel DC beyond that Preacher comic at this time. And this is where I was filling in my gaps of every week, get a couple more bucks in the pocket and able to get a couple more issues of Love and Rockets, able to get a couple more, you know, eight balls and stuff. Um, you must have been middle school. Yeah. 
man, that's good comic book taste it's, at that age. It's so funny, too, because, like, I went to those intramural classes, right, with, you know, we know the dude uh, who was a teacher, and, and I was like, yeah, I don't read any Marvel DC comics anymore, and he's, you know, walking around with a Superman earring in his ear and shit, <laughs> and, and is like, well, what, else, what, what do you read? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, 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 judging me and shit, and I'm like, there's a lot to read. That's funny. Well, let's get started on, on reading this issue and see what we can find out. How about Mallrats? Kevin Smith inserting himself into comics pretty early on here, and I believe Garib Seamus, somebody references Mallrats as being the best comic book movie made up to this point in this issue. Yeah, it's true, and, and uh, there's, there becomes like lots of controversy in uh, the pages of Wizard um, going forward, because I remember Alex Ross going, going crazy about the Stan Lee part of Mallrats, saying that like he didn't, he, what about Kirby, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, there's a Kevin Smith response, like probably in the letters column or like some sort of news item piece where uh, he said something about like, Alex Ross should quit being such a flag-waving fanboy, he calls him. <laughs> we'll get there. Excellent. Uh, Upper Deck Gridiron Fantasy Football Cards. I mentioned this because I saw something posted this week on uh, social media from Rob Liefeld. It was the Executioner ad from Comic Buyer's Guide. I don't know if this is like 32-year anniversary or something. I don't know what the timing is, why that came up. But he showed that along with the uh, rough sketch of it and then like the original art of it. Dude, talk about a great piece of art history. That ad's yeah. amazing. And Eric Larson also posted about it and talked about how, you know, the Marvel editors were so scared when they saw this, and they should have been, you know, like when you think about what happens over the, the next couple of years after that. But they mentioned like it was Larson, Liefeld, and I forget the third guy that was going to go, maybe Valentino, that was yeah. going to go do this. You know, they were going to self-publish and own their characters, and it was kind of a small thing in the beginning. And then McFarlane was going to do some kind of hockey cards that didn't go. And that's how they get McFarlane into the fold. I'd never heard that before. Me neither. Makes me curious to see, like, you got some of those mock-ups, Todd, of, like, drawing... Imagine him drawing a bunch of, like, hockey characters. Let's see the Mario Lemieux, Todd. Right. All right, so diving in, you can see your table of contents here. How about that for a teaser image? Jim Lee and Chris Claremont together again. Yeah. David Lapham, Stray Bullets. Garib Seamus, back from San Diego, kind of just talking State of the Union stuff here. Um, I didn't take too much from this, but gives you a, a survey of where we're at. The one thing that does get mentioned here is the Max cartoon, and uh, that's on MTV and doing very well. And so packaged with this issue is the second Max like promo thing that they had done. They had done a Max half yeah. that was a mail-away coupon. I guess this one must have been polybagged, exclusive supplement to Wizard 51. I happen to have one nearby, so I figured I would pull it on. And love seeing his like painted kind of... Uh, I don't know, Bill Sienkiewicz almost, you know, with mixed media and some line art on there. You would kill for this kind of thing, man, and it just came as supplementary material. Like, the reason to buy this issue of Wizard Magazine. Yeah, that, that's when I would buy Wizards would be, like, something like this. Yeah. And this talks about Sam Keith reaching out to Alan Moore to write uh, some Max. And I don't know if he actually did or not, but kind of a cool intro piece. But this whole piece is just, like inside of his sketchbooks with notes of what's going on. The Max originally pitched to Marvel, and whenever they pass on it, he uh, reworks it a little bit and puts it in darker image. Boy, that, that worked out well, Sam. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm so glad that was the fate. But look at this stuff of like the bleeding ink and watercolor. Uh, it looks like he's almost drawn on, on a napkin, Yeah. putting that stuff together. Probably the uh, old Marvel DC paper that everybody talks <laughs> about being like toilet paper. 
His color work, though, it's really cool to see how much of his sketches he's working out in color. Such of that time period, man, just like all these apathetic slacker 1990s. Yeah, bringing that slacker, that 90s slacker vibe into like a superhero character. Pretty unique, even though Absolutely. those elements make sense in hindsight. Not a lot of books that actually did that. Yeah, and, and like when Marvel and DC would try to do that thing, it's a bunch of old ass dudes doing it and it just does not work. I have a, uh, an art book of Sam Keith's that we should look at at some point, Fuck but yeah. it's almost all like this kind of stuff where it's like his paintings and, you know, mixed media and stuff. So pretty cool to see. And, you know, when you think about like contrast of this is what's happening, you know, with a lot of stuff, this digital kind of coloring, and then you open this up, this is the stuff that spoke to me. Sure. Yeah, without a question. And I wonder if this is a little <laughs> bit of pressure from Hero Magazine that uh, that they start putting package in, in these uh, giveaway ash cans yeah yeah like uh you know you used to have to send away for the halves and now they're they're having more and more supplemental material just, Com just passed competition up. a good thing right yes sir just passed up on the uh, t the techno comics ad so so they're still kind of slogging and it's trying their to one exist. year anniversary yeah their one year anniversary of techno comics and again i'm pretty much out of the mainstream but these things look like such a cash grab to oh, me totally. like, that's all not too into it um, kind of a fun back and forth here talking about comics code and censorship is, is the main topic in these first couple of letters from both sides of the, uh, of the argument. And it made me think like people were really against that, you sure. know, the idea of ratings and stuff in comics. And I can understand that, but I feel like nobody is against ratings in movies. And somebody explained to me the difference. Is it just that it's always been there in terms of our life? It's always been there. So we accept the movie ratings. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like literary form, like censoring books. Like like librarians will come at you with pitchforks as they should. You know, something that's on the air on TV. I, like I get, I get that. You know, like maybe you just don't want to see people dry hump in. Bongo Comics, uh, Treehouse of Horror, number one, October '95. This goes on to be quite the institution, and they put out a really nice collection of some highlights of this recently. That's yeah. a beautiful collection. Look at the names. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mike Allred. James Robinson, Jeff Smith, that would become the legacy of these Treehouse of Horrors of just like really interesting cartoonists uh, doing some Simpson stories. Yeah. Those are always cool, man. If you ever, I barely ever see those in like a dollar bin, but yeah, if you ever never. do, that is a, always going to be a good comic. To this have. right here, man, I think this yes. is Billy Tucci genius. <laughs> Go on. I really, really do, man. Uh, you see, like, I don't know if you get this on your Instagram and stuff, man, but like when you go through the people's stories, there will be a targeted ad for like a mobile game and if you click the link it'll send you right to app like the app store and it'll be so like one of these games is very like math based and you have like a little soldier running forward and you could run through like say x3 or minus two and they purposely run this guy like they make him do all the wrong stuff and when <laughs> yeah. you and when you look at uh the comments People are fucking beside themselves. And the only way that you get people to see your shit is from commenting and interacting with your post. They purposely yes. do the wrong thing to to get engagement and you promote their stuff with your silly rage. Yes. <laughs> uh, we have comics that, that, that got some outrage and it becomes the biggest selling one and, and regooses re the number. And I think that Billy Tucci put six fingers on this one hand on purpose to get these fucking neckbeard Wednesday warriors to talk shit 
oh, what, what's the name of that comic with the six figures? Like, <laughs> let me, I need to buy it and make fun of it. There are people who set up whole, their whole brand is talking shit on comics or something, but it's like in, in, in the NWA movie, when, when, when they're in the tour bus and they come to a town and there's like a bunch of fucking shit kickers burning NWA CDs and, and he's, he's like, they bought the motherfuckers. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's all good. Talk all the shit you want and please promote me. Um, but I think that, I think that Tucci did that on purpose. All right. Uh, also this Punisher has that he much does. smaller scale. Um, the zap comics that, that I did the red room homage to six toes on the one foot. I think that Robert Crumb was chemically altered. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I don't think be. it was a sales move, but here's my, here's my call out to the cartoonist kayfabe audience. I want a zine of all of these extra digit pieces because these exist. They, they, they're not always on a cover, but there's lots of examples of this stuff. Like, and we've talked about a little bit of that. Let's just expand it just a touch and say, uh, two left hands, two right hands on 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 the on one character. Yes. So multi fingers and same hands times two on single characters. Yep. Does that, 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 that great that, that's a zine though? for me. I would rather have that zine than any techno comic ever produced. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually think that the uh, Punisher twenty ninety nine one, it's real small. I do have the issue. And I could investigate, but I think that it's just bad, a bad color piece. Mm. Uh, I think it's a colorist issue. But there is no question. That that she has six fingers on one hand. <laughs> yeah. Any other letters stand out to you throughout that? No, just uh, the imagery of like Max on a toilet and yeah, it's funny. Um, I think that it's worth noting just how hot she and all the bad girl stuff was. You know, you see it there in the envelope art. You saw it in the letters column. So he gets a lot of attention in in the pages of Wizard with, with she and stuff. And I just don't know that the the relationships he makes with it like if it's just goose that way like i'm sure it's popular but it's really popular because of wizard magazine i think he was very smart in marketing and promo i think a number like brian polito i think you know i think there were this is whenever i think the guys who are either self-publishing or you know doing a lot of their own promo they really start to step to the fore in the 90s it's true and and and, and a lot of that is like you talk to Tucci, he's, he's, he's a regular cat. You know, he has some charisma. Polito has charisma. And they're, they're making friends with the, the wizard guys. And, and you can imagine that these wizard guys are like, the cool guys are actually talking to me? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've you're been waiting right. for this all my life. This is the this is kind of that uh, cult of personality starts coming to comics, right? Where like these characters, you know, McFarlane's a celebrity. You know, these guys start to have not just sitting in their attic meeting deadlines. They're... Uh, you know, there, there's something to be said for I'm a nerd and I get to rub elbows with Eric Larson. <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, Marvel versus DC. So again, like we're at a stage where like the bubble has burst, yes. sales are plummeting. So you're going to do everything you can to hotshot those books and try to get some sales. And the Marvel versus DC massive universe crossover, what could be bigger? Do you think that another t title for this could be Marvel and DC in a handicap match versus Image Comics? That's interesting, man. Yeah, yeah. Except that they do end up crossing over with Image. You know, like they'll bring sure. Image into it too, because like really, it is just we're sinking. Yeah. And we need to sell some stuff. But it's kind of cool to see what they do. And 
you know, it's easy to sell this, right? Batman versus Captain America, Hulk versus Superman, Wolverine, Lobo. It, it is funny, some of the choices, but it's an easy sell at this point. Like if you're just trying to sell books, that's about the shortest pitch you could make that somebody ought to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's still the stunt casting, still the hot shotting. Uh, this time they're doing it with characters. They do it in different ways right now, just trying to grab headlines with, you know, alt altering characters and things having a girl Thor or whatever. I thought this ad was pretty neat. Uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sells, I think their first Batman story, you know, and you think of like Long mm -hmm. Halloween and all the stuff that they did together. I don't remember Batman Ghosts. Like, I don't I think this was the first uh, the first go for that team. Yeah, I don't either. And and it would make a lot of sense because the the like Tim Sale as an artist grows in a di in different ways than what we're seeing right here. Like his line becomes becomes more um like sort of static. Mhm. Mm less kind of detailed at this level and he allows for a little bit more organic of a feel to to his pen but i would be curious to see this send two copies to the kayfabe uh, po box because i can't see myself buying it it feels like a pretty neat piece of history it's not something that i remember seeing anywhere either Never, again yeah. like going through boxes and stuff i don't remember seeing it but it's a neat piece of history because those guys do do some serious batman work and I, I think that might be the start of it. And a serious collaboration uh, between both publishers. That's true, too. You yeah, know, hundreds of pages yeah, between together. Them, they do a ton of stuff. I never see these uh, Charles Vest books, and I would love to, to check them out, but you never, ever see that. I don't, I don't know that he ever distributed them in a real way. Yeah, I don't know if the whole series came out or not. What are they planning? Like six or seven issues, which is pretty ambitious for what he's doing. And it's team up with different writers, including like Jeff Smith. Um, who I remember talking about this at, at some point whenever we were talking. He was part of the Spirits of Independence, Charles Vest. And I, I, I wonder if it's something that he just ran into trouble in terms of the market plummeting and distributors folding. Like maybe these six issues didn't all come out. I don't know. Well, I haven't seen one issue ever in my life, man. And he's, like I said, he's always like one of the added names in the Spirits of Independence conversation when you hear about the tours and all that stuff never seen the comic and uh, I, I like his work like if I, I I would buy it sight unseen I just never ever see it and I just wonder because like he seems to me like one of those like like uh, auteur drawers and sometimes yes. with that administration doesn't come with that you're a unicorn in the business of comics if you could handle your administration and be an artist of the level that he is yeah and if you look at his work I don't think of him as a fast dude. Like no. he's putting a lot of time on those pages, which again interferes with that business side of it. So yeah, I don't know, man. He may have been one of those 90s casualties because I think that Spirits of Independence group, I think a lot of them really struggled as, as things went bottom up. Uh, Silent Hill, I mean Silent Hill, Sin City Silent Night Yes, is uh, being promoted here. Uh, they're doing a little bit of, I don't know what you would call it, but they're selling you on something and they're not giving you the full story in any way like they're not talking about it being you know 22 pages of splash pages yeah and almost wordless we have a video on silent night everybody go check it out if you haven't this was one of my favorite comics this is one that i did pick up at the time yeah and it was one of those like probably like gi joe you know 21 for for a yeah. generation before that where i was just like miller's a dude i was just in tune with at that point and that book was shocking to me and and you would see the mail. People either loved it or hated it. I was in the Love It camp where like, I finished it and went right back to the beginning. Like, how does this work? There's something going on here that I don't see in other comics. What's he doing? It's magic. But I can see how somebody else would be like, I read that in 30 seconds. I want $4 back. Yeah, and, and I was sort of in that, that camp a little bit because I was still so young. And uh, I got it for Christmas because it, ca it came out around that time. It's the first like sort of new Sin City that, that I got mm -hmm. um, up to that point. Um, 
that same Christmas, I got the hardcover for um, Big Fat Kill, which is a video we need to do sooner than later. And I had the trades of um, Game to Kill for and, Sin, and the first Sin City, um, but never was like, I was. I just discovered comics shops around around this time, and that was the first one I got. He used a brush. Yeah, that was my takeaway here. Yeah. Entire issue with a brush rather than pen and brush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's you notice it. I think it's cool. I think it's great. But I, I obviously I've come around uh, with you know like. You know what's funny is we talk so much about materials, and that brush was not something that I that I have noticed. Like this was news to me reading this. So yeah, it does make me want to. Uh, one more reason for me to dig it, pull it back out of the boxes and give it another look. This is an issue of Wizard Magazine that I that I bought, like, sort of at my sweet spot of, like, really, like, I'm getting no more toys. I'm getting no more video games. Like, I am full-on art supplies and comic books. So, like, this is one of those issues that I just, like, like, the back of my hand, I know it so well. Um, Nimoy writes Primordials. I think he ends up, like, plotting it or co-plotting it with the writer. I didn't see the writer's name in here. Yeah. This is one of those articles where like the re you know, part of the reason I get turned off on like a celebrity comic is for this kind of thing. Right. He's not even full on scripting it and the other guy doesn't even get mentioned. Yeah, it's coming. So it tells me one of two things. One, you just completely don't care about the comics maker, right. which is bad. Two, you don't even have the other guy lined up yet. Ah. This is just a total cash in, which is also bad. Like either totally. one of those scenarios, I'm out. Here's here's what I will say uh, about about these techno comics and, and that prime mortals. Uh, certainly on the strength of Leonard Nimoy's name, uh, that comic was in Suncoast videos across the country in, in every shopping mall. So it, it got some distribution. It's just too bad that that's the comics that gets the distribution. It would have been in that back section sort of towards where the anime is, where there would be just the tchotchkes, you know, little Captain America tumbler glasses and shot glasses. And so it would be amongst that but it would be the only comics there and this is an era where like i'm at that stage of fandom of comics where it's like i need to develop my tastes further just buy just give me every comic and then i will start to make my decisions uh that that is a uh, i recognize as a bad comic <laughs> very young anything stand out in these company updates there might be um let's just take a look yeah, I don't. I didn't pull anything from them, but once again, this this image of this red dragon thing, like, I never see that comic, but you just know it's not as cool as that Bisley image. I have that comic, and it is not as cool as that <laughs> image. Because you would, I mean, you would just want all of that, like every page of that. Yeah, I just cover, just cover. Artists. So easy to be on board. Yeah. Oh, the yes. Chinese Superman is what uh, Azarello describes it as. Fantagraphics is promoting issue uh, 49 of Love and Rockets and talking about the giant size, you know, the the double-sized issue issue 50 that's coming out. No mention that it's going to be the last issue. It's, you know, next year's big 50th issue is what they they call it. But of course, it goes away. And the bros get so much attention with issue 50. Uh, Around this time, the anti-gravity room TV show is on Sci-Fi Channel, and they would go to Fantagraphics uh, quite often. Gary Groth is on several episodes, and there was an episode where the bros were on it, um, talking about the 50th issue, showing it off, doing a little retrospective, and both of them were like, well, were, were you guys the past right. 48 issues? Like, if as many people who came to us to express their, their sorrow that were stopping would have bought the book, we would keep fucking making the book. You know what's real crazy, dude? Is there a, at least probably like issue like 12 or 13 of like the new magazine? So it's like 
yeah. we're almost there. Like they they have it's like fifty issues of volume one, twenty issues of issues of volume volume two, I think ten of three. We're up to like thirteen uh or, or so of uh this volume four. You they're they're getting up there, man. Yeah, and those uh that volume three, like those are hundred page books. It is, yeah, yeah. Each dude doing fifty pages or something. Note in here, Chris Ware's Acme Novelty Library won five Harvey Awards. Yes, this is that era, also, man. Where uh, the 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 Trinity, it would be it would be um, Chris Ware would 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 you know stack them up. Dan Klaus would stack them up, and you couldn't ignore their names because they would just yeah. be winning everything. And uh, you know, like when when you see those names at that level, it's like you got to check it out. Hepcats. I don't have much to say about Hepcats. <laughs> See prior videos for that. That's one of those alternative books that that uh, would get lumped in, you know, with the indie self-published books, but it just never really spoke to me. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Wendy Peeney exhibit talks about some uh, ElfQuest originals being shown. So early days of, say, uh, putting your, your originals out into a gallery setting and selling them, you know, like apparently it was a very successful show for her and for that artwork. So kind of cool watching the buildup of original art starting to be, you know, accepted. Uh, and, and Wizard Chronicles, a lot of that, you know, auctions, whenever they go up and stuff, it's kind of neat to watch that, that rise. And man, think of all the people that were getting in on the early days of original art trade. I don't think you know this, man, but we know a couple who have a very successful relationship, very longstanding 20 plus year relationship, have kids and stuff, uh, a kid, and they met each other on... A, an ElfQuest website, like a fan site in the 90s. Wow. That's how they connected. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, Wendy. Well and, done. Like bringing, bring, creating they, love out they, there. They know them. Like, like, like they're, they're, That's awesome. Yeah, they know them because because the people we know are at a high 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 level. And uh, we often get asked, when are you guys going to do uh, ElfQuest? But I have issue one of the magazine, a reprint, and we'll, we'll do that sooner than later. I, I'm interested in that. That is not a series that I have read, but I recognize it. I mean, it's one of those pillars of like the early direct market. It's one of the great creator-owned books that has, you know, permeated through so many iterations of what you can do with creator ownership. So I would like to look at that at some point. Love the industrial gothic ad just because I'm a Ted McKeever fan. So kind of cool to see that. And uh Calls to mind amputee love. It, it, like, is it an amputee or are the legs bent? I think this, I think that, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember Industrial Gothic. I remember I read it at the time, but it's been a long time. Um, maybe I need to track those down and give it a reread. Uh, the horror horrorist is David Lloyd art. Oh, v cool. for Vendetta. Yeah. So I usually like his art whenever it pops up. So check this out. Hendrix hits comics and Voodoo Child. I have this in one of the books that I'm, I'm maybe working on is a biography. So I pulled this off the shelf last week and started reading it because I'm interested in how people handle biographies. This was such a timely article for me because Will Eisner's connected to this. Both the writer and the artist, Bill Sienkiewicz, talks about interacting with Will Eisner in terms of feedback on the art and the story structure for this book. So I'm interested to check this one out. Um, Probably a video we'll, we'll record, I'll, I'll recommend next week. But it's a kitchen sink publication, over 100 pages of Bill Sienkiewicz painted artwork. Pretty cool. He was in Pittsburgh, and somebody gave him a uh, a blank white guitar body. It's like, you draw a Hendrix on this thing, man. And I stood over Bill Sienkiewicz's shoulder while he's drawing this thing without like putting any any uh, guidelines down with, with pencil or anything using a Sharpie, mm. doing a nearly photorealistic 
portrait of Jimi Hendrix. I, I don't remember him looking at anything, but he's like putting down um, Sharpie, like real thick and going like, whoosh, yeah, and blending fucking Sharpie and stuff. And I'm just watching this Hendrix come out of his head onto a fucking guitar body. And it was one of the most unbelievable experiences I had in my life of like watching somebody draw. It's like, I have two. I have like him and like, there's like Joe Kubert and there's new out there's three. Seeing those guys draw and just fucking being mind blown. That's so cool. See, here's another example of that original art being auctioned, you know, the uh, Amad, Amad auction site. I think that Sotheby's too is uh, is where that's heading. So kind of cool to see them. Four to seven G's, man. Shouts to Uncle Jeff Darrow mm. connected with uh, Andrew Vax uh, to to do some more um, co comic book stuff. Uh, Je Jeff has been connected with Vax forever. Uh, I, I I think maybe maybe Andrew is a uh, Chicago dude, and 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 Jeff would have been going to school out there, lived there for for quite some time. But like this image is so arresting. It's a cover to one of those. Um, is it? What the hell's the story called? Leave it to chance or something like that. Look, look cross. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And with a, like a subtitle of another chance. But those are like uh, heroin track marks drawn by Jeff Darrow. <laughs> so you know that there's going to be a lot, and you know they're going to be sort of well referenced and all that shit. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Vax, Vax, by the way, Vax is on uh, that anti gravity room as well, and he's got the patch on the eye, and it's just like very like hard boiled looking character. Jerry Siegel's typewriter that he says he would put on the train to go to New York and type out his scripts on the train on this typewriter, like the uh, 1930s laptop. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. So first article, quiet on the set. Yeah, I mean, you could keep going. I was going to say I did not read this. Yeah, yeah. These are like, voice actors talking about the uh, X-Men cartoon. Yeah, which uh, what I will say is we did a video where we got a book from Abrams that is kind of like a retrospective behind the scenes. You get to see process art and stuff of the X-Men animated series. And, and what I will say also is that that animated series was highly influential on me as a mm -hmm. kid at, at this very time. It's an opportunity to give a second pass at comic stories that Chris Claremont had to come up with on the fly month after month after month so they could add a little bit more agency to these, to these stories. I feel like you don't even need the caption to know that he's probably Sabretooth. With that, yeah, with yeah, that yeah. image right there, that's uh, a great, great photo. So, thing. so the the cartoon is near and dear to my heart. Um, having that second pass to do these stories uh, added so much value. Like, like the the cartoon series, it, it, the story wise, um, it, it might be better than the the, the comic stories um, as they were because you know you, you try to make sense of uh, Mister Sinister. Like, I did the X Men Grand Design comic, right? So it's like, all right, we're up to Mr. Sinister. There is no indication of why he's doing anything bad. Like, like of why the mutant, not the mutant massacre, what's that? Inferno. There's like no reason yeah. explain at all. You have to, so you have to like kayfabe it and it has to be retrospective. Look, man, cool. if you're born with the last name Sinister, what else can you do? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that cartoon, I think, is, uh, there's a generation that really, that brought a lot of people into comics. I know a lot of creators that, talk about that with reverence and I'm sure a lot of fans um, just to mention of this ad this is your Qbert uh, X-Men yeah. set so you know there's your cover image yeah. from this wizard um, this is another one that like we'll I just don't care it. yeah fuck that this is Evangeline uh, 
formerly Vampirilla model. And this is a time of like booth babes and bad girls. And you can see it even with the ads that they pair up with that. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But again, I think of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and I bet there were fanboys that were loving this direction of wizard. <laughs> Body count. David Lapham finds pleasure in the painful, violent world of stray bullets. So awesome, man. The first couple of issues of Stray Bullets are out at this point, and he is talking about self-publishing, writing and drawing his crime series, the eight-panel grids that he that he uses that are very cinematic. 25 years old at this point. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think he started doing that uh, that Valiant stuff as, like, 19-year-old. Yeah, it's really cool. There's a little background of, like, he quits his job before he gets married. It is fiance's encouragement, Maria, who was, becomes a publisher for David Lapham, encourages him like chase this dream before they get married and that's when he gets that valiant job yeah he gave he was a layout artist for a newspaper which which i don't exactly know what that means like are you drawing just like little spot illustrations no, throughout the thing? you're literally putting ads on it th this was a common thing like because i was doing design then and i had fellow students that would do this as like a moonlighting gig um it started out as like waxing paste ups you know put it literally building your your page layouts and then of course it becomes digital pretty early on well, I don't know, early, but For in you. the 90s when I was yeah. there, you know, like like that was transitioning to digital. And that was what a lot of, man, I, I had I had other people in my graphic design class, that would be a job you would get. Which, yeah. not a lot of future there. You think about what newspapers do following the 90s. But yeah, that was a thing. And uh, benefit to the comics fans that he moves out of that pretty quickly and gets into comics. And if you relap them, you can see, like, talk about a guy who's built to make comics. Absolutely, man. And, and I mean, at this time, like, when he was with Valiant, he would do two books at a time. So he's fast, too, with it, with his uh, ability. And he was ride or die, man, with with Jim Shooter, like, yes. doing the Valiant stuff. Uh, Jim Shooter leaves. He, go, he goes with them, presumably, and, and does the first uh, Defiant books. Yes. And uh, they do San Diego in 94, and it seems like everything's good. And he finds out at the end of the week, Defiance over. Writes Stray Bullets on the plane ride home. Writes Stray Bullets number one. And that, we looked at the collection. We looked at like the first seven issues of Stray Bullets that were collected in the hardcover. Yeah. A lot of great material in the back of that. So go check out the video and see like script pages, layouts, design ideas, lettering practice. Yeah. You know, so a guy who's going from penciler and, and maybe inked a little bit of his stuff to writing, penciling, lettering, publishing, designing the covers, everything. Uh, big step, but man, a 25-year-old with a lot of energy and a lot of talent. I loved Stray Bullets. That's one of those books whenever I'm almost done with comics keeps me in comics. This is on my pull list also. Um, the, on the strength of Palmer's picks, like what he would talk about, like 90% of the books that Palmer would uh, talk about would, would go right on my, my list. But then like just any of the like fantasy stuff just kind of wouldn't, you know, like uh, uh, the, the star gazer or whatever, like, like these weird ones wouldn't happen. Just like the 11 Rockets conversation earlier about how it's like 50 issues for that s version of the series and then all the stuff that's come since this round of stray bullets gets like i think 40 or 41 issues i think he's done that amount with this like new round yes you know that sunshine and roses or whatever mm -hmm. it's called i think he's done maybe 50 issues maybe more issues of this latest uh stray bullet yeah. stuff than he did of this old old material and i bring that up because he talks about stray bullets being a project in his bibliography not the project but I mean, he went back to the well, and uh, we're, we're lucky for it. You know, if you're going to do crime comics, Stray Bullets would fit any story that you had in mind. And he, and he manipulates it that way, right? Like, when you when you get your Amy Race cars, 
Uh, you could tell that that's a reprieve of all the horrendous stuff he puts his mind through to create these, yeah. these these uh, really fucking heinous acts that are done in the Stray Bullets comic. Like, a part of being a writer of fiction is empathy. And you gotta, you gotta have a reason. You gotta... You don't have to personally agree with your characters, but you have to give them a reason why they're doing the things that they do that's got to take your mind to a dark place. So I feel like it's like every 10 issues or something, he would give himself that Amy race car futuristic to just palate cleanser, <laughs> unicorn chaser, man, to just have fun, draw some bombast before you go back into the heinous shit. Do you think you set up a still life for this and just kind of trace it off? I would. I, I don't know. I, you know say. I mean, I, I, it would make sense to me. You know, like that's he does so many things well. All those different settings, like he'll have these stories that take place in people's apartments and like parties and stuff, or in people's houses, and they look like real houses. They look like real apartments. It's it's really great how much he does. Um, comparisons to Frank Miller in here a couple yeah. of times in Sin City, which makes sense. You know, he talks about uh, Daredevil. Frank Miller's Daredevil as being sort of like a crime comic, even though it had a superhero in the lead. So pretty interesting to think of this in Sin City. And I was thinking like the third one is for me is Paul Grist's Kane, yeah. which was self-published black and white crime comic. It might have been a year or two after this that it, it starts. It's going to get its coverage in Wizard. That's oh, excellent. That's how, that's how like I discovered Kane for sure. But it's really awesome to see like crime comics coming back and he even says like you know it's flattering to be compared to that but who cares if there are two crime comics there are eighty thousand superhero books oh totally and he's right like it really was like i feel like a lot of these guys enjoyed that crime genre and suddenly it was viable after sin city yeah i mean i, I you know I, I feel like we have the the influence of tarantino to thank for priming the pump in pop culture again for that kind of hardcore storytelling and these guys were there to to sort of uh, to benefit from it. There are the Shrebulous giant influence on on the Red Room stuff in terms of construction because young Dave Lapham was a disciple of Jim Shooter. Every issue is somebody's first issue, so it's very important for him to make every issue a complete experience. And he says that uh, you know I'm introducing new characters, blah blah blah, and then over time you know you're going to see them start to converge. And he says that here, but when when I read this as a kid, I just took that as like there's going to be like new characters in every issue. Every issue is going to start fresh. Um, when you read Stray Bullets, it it clearly becomes you know it's 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 Virginia Applejack is very important to him, and then you know Orson and uh, Beth and the cokehead brunette chick. I always forget her name, or maybe she's Beth. Um, and then they all converge, and it, and it, it it becomes their comic. Yes. Um, but that takes that takes time and you can't take it from me man like trying to like do a new a fresh story every 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 issue now you're creating complete fresh characters complete fresh world you might have like this engine where everybody can like fit in but it takes too much time if you're good he did uh, he did bi-monthly takes too much time to design full new characters and situations and and scenarios you know, and reasons why people are doing this or that every single issue. So he, he really paced it out incredibly well. Yeah, I, I, I dug it. Like I said, it's one of those things that really kept me around. The Tick is your casting call. Um, I don't care much about that, but it is interesting since we've seen two live action Ticks that right. uh, it has been cast a couple of times. 
First look, Witchblade. This is a one-pager introducing this uh, Mark Silvestri's Witchblade. I really think this changed Silvestri's trajectory. Absolutely. Cyberforce was not well regarded. Like, it wasn't much. It was, People didn't th didn't hold that book up as like, this is an awesome image book. You could not even find it. Witchblade changed everything for, I think, Silvestri and Top Cow. This, I mean, the story's being told with our with our regular, with our our wizard coverage. Like, listen to all the wizard episodes, and, and you know, we're not talking much, and, and the things that he's doing are, are just, you know, there's nothing there. But, like, this comes out, it becomes a thing, and then Darkness comes out, it becomes a thing. And then, uh, it becomes a more sexy brand. To, yes, sexy is a good word like, for it, it. It creates a situation where Marvel will, will now, you know, do a crossover with your character. Michael Turner's name here in, in the article, right? Like, he does this, he does Tomb Raider. Um, Fathom. Yeah, becomes like like a very hot artist. And, and that was the other thing is like these guys, as they had their studios, yeah. they start to need the break guys. Like they need guys that are going to show up and become stars and celebrated. And I think Michael Turner is one of the guys that, that, that probably is the front of that pack, especially for Top Cow. Here's the example. To, you know, the Exhibit A to go along with that. If you watch that Image Revolution docu documentary, when the image frictions begin, and they're probably already starting because Rob has maximum press. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was Rob Liefeld calling Top Cow. Can I speak to Michael Turner? And I, I'm, this is paraphrased, but almost in quotes. Uh, Mark Silvestri picks it up and says, "Do you know who this is? This is Mark Motherfucking Silvestri. Quit poaching my guys." Because Rob will do that, you know, like like Rob will grab a Stephen Platt and give you three times what you're making at Marvel. Or grab Kiko Taganashi from Steve, Steve mm -hmm. Olif and, and 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 set him up and stuff like that. So like, that it was it was business at that point, and it was a business where the guys at the top of this pyramid were able to make big bank. Rob talking about making a million dollars an issue or something. So like it's not insignificant to do this, but like you know there's morality conversation that but that that that's outside of business. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of note where that it's it's for uh, Wizard Magazine. I feel like that's two pages that really have some uh, some legs. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. Right. All right, Greg Capullo telling us how to draw, and this time talking about settings. Yes. Exteriors, interiors. You know, putting in details to sell wherever it is that you're, uh, whatever environment you're trying to build. I love this. Yeah. This makes total sense to me. I think everybody could learn from this and talk about a contrast. I was thinking of like the desk shot with what I would see in Image Comics year one. Right. <laughs> it's like very believable office compared to what we were seeing in some of those uh, some of those early image books. Let's talk about this uh, real quick. So number one is a general exterior shot. Sure. And it it could be like you know like let's see the Statue of Liberty and and you you could. Uh, Tell people that it's New York City without telling them that it's that it's New York City, and then you get to the second one, specific ex exterior shot. And I remember as a kid, reading this like, well, isn't it the same thing? And it's not. So like, you establish New York as like uh, the macro setting, mm -hmm. but then you zoom in a little bit on apartment window or something. That that's your specific exterior shot. Interior shot, self-explanatory. Just load it up. And I think he says something here. Um, uh, you know the game where you pick out the things that don't belong in a picture? Well, this is the opposite. If you are in a hospital room, fucking load it up so that beyond the shadow of a doubt, nobody would mistake that for, you know, uh, a police station. One of the things that I think really doesn't work, spotting blacks. This There is no f focal point in a lot of these images. Miller, I mean, uh, Ty McFarland's inking that stuff. And he was just so masturbatory with the 
tick marks, and he just wanted Steve Oliff and Ollie Optics to like sh show up when Capullo draws naturally. Like this is a natural Capullo drawing for what he said. It still has the McFarlaneisms and stuff, but he uses blacks. It's mm -hmm. just it's just Mc McFarlane, you know, wants to put cyclone fences inside the house. <laughs> backsplash, <laughs> cyclone fence backsplash. <laughs> That's a crazy perspective, you know, like here's your faucet, like your 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 point of view is like you're behind the sink looking out yeah. at all of this stuff. If we didn't do this issue, like that might be on the docket soon, man, because that, that's a very controversial issue. I think it's the one that might show uh, Spawn hanging from the neck. And, yeah, you might be right on and that. And on all the TV shows, all the like what they called magazine shows back in the mm -hmm. day, uh, A Current Affair, Hard Copy. It was the same. There, there would there would be this this like this black librarian lady who was like, "This shit is he spawns a black character," and you have this guy lynched and hanging from the neck uh, on this comic book cover. And like my my grandsons bought this thing, and the the exact copy that I have is on newsprint. And it's it's I got it from Giant Eagle mm -hmm. on on the spinner rack from the di not the direct market but the newsstand. So uh, it, it's it's a you know the the angel Angela issue is a big one, but like that was. The, I had a kayfaber shot. send me this issue because uh -huh. I had it as a kid and got rid of it, and and somehow I, we must have been talking about it yeah. in some capacity. And uh, whenever I revealed I didn't have it, yeah. it showed up. So yeah. that is an issue that people hold near and dear. It's also it's also a uh, singular issue, you know, like it it it, it sort of it's a, it's a complete episode, which would uh, lend to the kayfabe treatment drawing board always a lot of fun and again man she was really burning it up and i wonder because we're seeing like envelopes and now we're seeing drawing board covers if part of the appeal too is this is a creator own character you know like like billy tucci in a way like that was the dream for all of us sure i want to draw, draw my own book and my own character and have it be in wizard magazine and so you see the fans are like on board with that yeah that's a fun looking wolverine i don't know if that's um color pencils or what but that's a wild looking piece it's so funny because like like i still i still make the mistakes that that, that this artist makes in almost the exact same pose if you look at my fried pie x-men grand design issue one cover the foreshortening on the top of the legs like the femur it's not easy man like to like do that right and in and i do it about as well as that guy <laughs> so I, so like and my torso is bent the same way Man, it's weird how how drawing works. Where you pencil something and you're like, okay, this is right, and you ink it because you think it's right, but then you look at it again and you're like, what the fuck? What is wrong with my brain? Yeah. And then of course you got to call out Scott Kurtz, the cartoonist from PVP. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Has has a piece of fan art right here, Captain Amazing, which might even be his own character, as far as I know. Yeah, it could be. Goes on for a long run with with Image, but also uh, the web comic. You know what what spawns that Image series? Yeah. Homemade heroes. Always fun to see people uh, mocking up these these characters, kidding them together with all kinds of stuff. Kind of fun. I like that uh, Wizard would foster that kind of creativity. Yeah. Because it, it, it reminds me a little bit of what we see on Cartoonist Kayfabe, where it's like the audience is a bunch of creators. Absolutely. You know, and, and where their creativity goes may, may vary, but, uh, you know, give them a platform for that. You know, it'll certainly engender some some good content, goodwill, and yeah. some interesting results. And think, and think about it. We, we have uh, envelope art. We have letters column. We have the toy thing. We have the cover art thing. So it's a lot of ways to get people's addresses. That's right, with too. When you run in a magazine, like that's a big 
part of the game. Very true. You gotta you gotta be able to show something to uh, an advertiser to get them on board for. for so your uh, the Kubert brothers, two of Marvel's top artists at this time, post uh, Image Exodus. Yeah, and uh, they're drawing big books, man. Wolverine and X Men. Yeah, what's funny is issue thirty eight is the second issue of Wizard I bought, and this is the cover. So just like Cosmopolitan magazine, you know, every, you know, January of whatever year teaches a new techniques on how to jerk off your husband, like Wizard has a has a machine. So it's like what every year we gotta do our Cubert Brothers in hey, if you paid for it. Use it as many <laughs> times as you can, right? So you get a little background on them being the son of Joe Kubert, of course, going through the Kubert school. They both started in different directions and ended up back at the Kubert school in <laughs> comics. And then kind of like working their way through the business, you know, starting, uh, Adam started lettering at 13. There's a, there's a new term that's come out in the past month and a half called Nepo baby. Ooh. You hear about that? No, I didn't, but I can see where that's gone. <laughs> and, uh, just, it's some of their language, you know, like where you could tell that they're, whether they know it or not, they're full Nepo babies, but it's that kind of thing where, oh, my dad made it way tougher for me. And it's like, shut the fuck up dude like like uh you're in the game like like uh, i bet you can get some FaceTime. i bet paul levitz might have come to a dinner or two in dover new jersey kicking it with you guys like uh yeah and this isn't wrestling where like the promoter's son has to get in the ring with the guy who doesn't like the nepotism and may, <laughs> may right. drop you on your head a couple times <laughs> right <laughs> but uh yeah like like the the, the nepo baby thing uh, appears and certainly with some of the language that that they that they use in here but listen they do the work right like right. they did that doc savage which i thought that the ad was real freaking sharp it was cool i didn't I, i've never read that and they uh they alternated andy and adam one did pencils on two like issue one and three yeah and then inks on issue two and four so they flip-flopped the penciling and inking which i think is kind of cool they did that exact approach on the batman predator that that we looked at we have a video dave yeah. gibbons wrote the story for them and uh, they did the same approach, where one guy, you know, drew two issues, the other guy uh, drew one. There it is, right there. Mm -hmm. Probably the first time I saw that image. They could draw like like I'm I'm a I'm an Adam fan, man, and you know I've I've endured uh, Andy Kubert uh, plenty on X Men during the my methadone stage of buying X titles. One of the things that comes up in this is Andy Kubert talks about taking over X Men after Jim Lee leaves. Yeah, and trying to kind of maintain that look. It's so clear too. And, and, and I never thought about like in my mind it was always because I I leave I left before Jim Lee left X Men. Yeah, but I would see those issues still, and I remember thinking like you know that's a not that's a guy imitating jim lee right and of course like this is those days where like you tried to have continuity yeah. you know if you were a fill-in artist you tried to kind of make it look like the book yes looked before and after you and i never thought about andy kubert like intentionally trying to follow jim lee and do some nods to the jim lee style they did a really cool run on um spirits of vengeance mm -hmm. uh before that and sometimes joe would pop in on that yeah. too and they still had a lot of the Kubert ticks, like to the inking and shit. So to me, it was very clear when they really um, start to adopt that that Jim, Jim Lee-ish style. Adam talks about 
the uh, issue like 79 of, of uh, Wolverine that was like all two-page spreads with um, Sabretooth fighting and it's like gate folds and stuff like three four pages like like I that's I've got that I don't have that and I and I would like to look at that I might have two copies because I because I bought this collection that definitely has it and I have my copy in the other room so I could slide that to you and the last panel it's funny they talk about like that last page had to be done a couple of times and he thought that like this the claw is supposed to go into Sabretooth's brain which it does but they like leave it off cam and it becomes so it's unreadable. So, like, I wonder if they, like, blew up a Xerox. Like, there's something real fucked up about the end of that and the way the next issue starts off that you could tell, like, that there was a clear editorial last-minute yeah. thing that had to be done because it's fucked up. If you come across it, man, let's do a, an episode on it because I've never seen it and I'd be curious. I quit Wolverine, like, around 75. Like, I had all the Wolverines up to, like, 75, and that's about when I walk away. Uh, and it's right about when Adam comes on. Like, on, se- on 75. When, 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 the, when the claws go away, he's the guy that draws it. And, yeah. and in fact, in fact, my parents, they were so sweet, man. They, they would go get those, like, $1 certificate frames at, at the Dollar yeah. Tree. I drew that image of like Wolverine on his knees looking up at the claws <laughs> and like my parents like bought frames. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely was. <laughs> and and, and uh, my parents like bought a frame and, and like framed that little drawing and stuff. Uh, but they're really promoting these cards. Like right. we're still on cards and we made fun lightly about the cover with like the the this digital painting bullshit. Now it's time to fucking lean in hard because there are about 30 pen and ink Joe Kubert images that got oh, fucking obliterated by this process. And kayfabers, is there a way to see these images? Do, do people buy them? And is it on comic art fans? I want to see them. They said, the brothers said that uh, they, you know, Joe is like, fuck this bullshit. I don't know these characters. I could give two shits about yeah. characters. I'm in business. Just give me 30 of them. And uh, whatever one. So so uh, Andy and Adam gave him the ones that they did not want to draw. <laughs> but he drew a Weapon X. How, first of yes. all, how could you not want to draw Weapon X? Ain't that the truth. And uh, what does a Joe Kubert pen and ink Weapon X drawing look I wanna like? I want to see it. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, also a Shatterstar. And they said that he drew the Shatterstar. And they were like, he's not 40, Dad. He's 18. <laughs> and then reading that, it's I'm like... Oh really? Because like, there's not one. Let's look at that one uh, Rob Liefeld cover with the with Sauron. Like where there he's he's fighting. <laughs> he's got fucking five hundred Ian lines. McKellen wrinkles on the face, man. There's no eighteen. Like he's never looked eighteen. Tell me that ain't hard as fuck, dude. dude. It's such a great juggernaut. It's amazing. The whole setup, man. Wolverine yep. up on a bar stool, like on a table. Like the lighting is sick. Yeah, it's really cool looking. The the attitude in in Wolverine's I would pose. see um Adam Kubert whenever I did Hulk whenever I read that Hulk series, he has a big run in yeah. Hulk and uh yeah, I liked his work, so it's kind of kind of neat to see this. I don't know that Here's... like either of those guys hit a height or or hit an issue and it could have been me that I'd just aged out. Yeah. That that really was like one of my pantheon kind of issues no. and it kind of bums me out cuz I think they both had that capability and maybe they didn't. It just wasn't what I was into at that yeah, point. Yeah, Adam's my guy. That looks really and, sharp. and that's a very diplomatic thing to say, Jimmy, but like these guys it's that nature abhors a vacuum thing. So at this level, like they're benefiting from those high heights established by Claremont and Jim Lee and all those guys. So it's like drawing versions of K. Fabian, Nicieze, and Scott Jobdale mm. kind of dudes who just get plugged in and, and just and just run with it. But uh, you know, I have a fondness for I actually have a fondness for for both of their works. And one of the things that I will say about this is that the Cubert Bros for those cards, 
They turned in just pencils. So oh, interesting. I so uh, and and good luck trying to tell which one did which, you know. But you think about Andy's Andy's uh, legacy, and he did like that origin story for Wolverine. That's just pencil. He did that 1602 or whatever it's called. Uh, that's just pencil, and. You know he has experience doing just these, these plain pencil comics and, and this might be the first time that he professionally gets paid to just do a tight pencil thing that had no intentions of being inked i feel like they're imitating not the kubert brothers but the coloring like the hildebrandt brothers remember want to be guys? yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, like they, and they came out just big, before uh, big influence yeah all right <laughs> I don't have too much to say about this. This is a His, gathering at Ralph. You know what? I'm more interested in Ralph Macchio's uh, backyard, the editor, where this uh, this is taking place. All of these creators are getting together for got a that couple days. that in-ground pool, man? Yeah, man. Looks it like looks pretty good. He's got a nice The setup. white picket fence here in the background. But this is a three-day get-together of Avengers creators who Bob Harris is co-writing. Which is Bob Harris would become editor-in-chief at Marvel, but he was the ex-editor at the, at yeah. the time at their, you know, the heights. Um, I didn't realize that he would have been doing this, but... It, uh, it's just, you know, the creators getting together and plotting out like the next year of Avengers. And I, I don't know, man, not, not much here for me. And a lot of the stuff they talk about isn't even in here. It's sort of like hinted at like, oh, we've got some big storylines coming up. So, so I, th I think, I think th there's a lot to talk about and it's, you know, how sometimes like the stuff to talk about is like, what's not in the, in the mix here. Um, these guys are fucking fanboys and uh, it was just recently, man. Mark Mark Miller, I, it, like Nemesis comics are coming back out or whatever. Like like the stuff that he did with uh, McNiven, uh, being reprinted or or he's making a deal, some, something, right? And he puts out something on Facebook, cause like I never read I never read that. And he's like, yeah, you know, with Nemesis, the idea was, okay, you take a guy who is a billionaire vigilante, um, how would the cops bring this dude in? And just like that sentence, two sentences, I'm like, I'm in, I'm on board. Like, like I'm gonna have to check that out. Nobody does that better than Mark Miller. These guys are no Mark Millers. They're the opposite. Th they are fucking clowns. And can you imagine, Jimmy, you and I, we get together, man. You get to the studio, the table's all ready to go. Every, we're, we're ready for business. We could plug in and get busy immediately. These guys are fucking schmacking off and have fun at your pool party, guys, because guess what? Like, I'm talking to the photos right here. Uh -huh. Guess what's going to happen? Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld are coming and are putting all you dudes out of work because you're sitting around fucking being fanboys. Like, the stuff they're talking about in here is fanboy nonsense. And, you know, you got Mark Grunewald, like, famous fanboys. Like, in, in the mix here, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld are coming... And you guys are going to be uh, doing everything you can to try to sabotage that and, and, and make these books successful so you don't need the image, guys. But have fun at your pool party because it's done. Here's the other thing that's not here, Ed. No artists. Right. You're making comics. You've got a dozen people here having fun in the pool, boogie night style, and no representation of the visual side of this which they do to this very day they have their little writer retreats man where they're pl they're, they're planning out the you know the year's books there's the x people and the spider people never any artists uh invited to that and uh i think some of this can segue really tidily into our jim lee chris claremont conversation when we get to that point but this is clown shit um these this is douchebaggery uh amongst these dudes and no fucking surprise 
that uh, that Marvel's going to try something else because this it's not here. Look at how uninspired this stuff is too. Like maybe after the crossing, we ought to have the rebuilding. Like maybe we ought to have the generic. Like, <laughs> it, it just you've got a dozen guys in the crossing and the rebuilding are the best titles you can come up with. Who's that appealing to? And also, it says less than nothing. And also, like, it says creatively bankrupt. Like you know, in the dictionary, or, or creativity by committee. Comics by committee, and here's your committee. And uh, when you have uh, Michael Turner mentioned, and you got Gen 13 out in the mix, and you got this cool hip young energy, and you got these fucking dudes, it ain't it ain't happening. You need yeah. you need some fresh energy. Let's 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 spend uh, 200 words on how do we feel about doing a number zero issue? Right. Yeah, Guess yeah. what? It doesn't matter what the number is. Do a good comic. Yeah. The number it, has <laughs> nothing to do with it. That's what I'm saying, dude. Can you imagine? Like, we would fucking yeah. go insane being in a room with these dudes. And you know, it happens. Like, like every now and then, we try to spread our wings. Uh, you and me and Tom, we get sent to Phoenix, Arizona. So it's like, it's like the West Coast, a bunch of cartoonists that we don't get to see too often. You know what? We hang out all the time, guys. Let's spread our wings. Let's go. Let's go hang out with this guy or that guy, and we do. And we all come running back, fucking traumatized because uh, they talk clown shit. They're fanboys, dude. I often think like, for for how much like there are big continuity crossover kind of things. Like I'm surprised there's not a writers' room kind of build that works. Yeah. This is so much the opposite it of is. like. I, it feels like they're not getting any work done. None. And <laughs> man, if you came out of like. The crossing and the rebuilding. I feel like everybody's fired. We're getting a new writer's room if that's the best we can come up send, with. Send us to that room with those dudes and we will have them lockstep. They will be the disciples of cartoonist kayfabe and and do our biddings, man. Because first off, you could alpha dog all those cats. And, uh, you know, get them to impress you. Even, the, okay, you're Marvel, right? You're getting some promo in Wizard. It's going to be three photographs of dudes pasty dudes in their in their shorts jumping in a swimming pool yeah what are we trying to sell here right get how about three pages of avengers art yeah. like what the heck yeah. who, who thinks this is a good idea and you wonder if wizards just having fun making They're, fun of yeah home. exactly right yeah like these guys are out of touch as fuck S speaking of out of touch <laughs> marvel marvel has bought the ultraverse and they don't know what to do with it. there's like one thing that has like a little spider-man face or something yeah this is um this is techno comics all over again for me. And that's a that's a bot ad, right? Like that's like they they bought this insert. Like look at that Spider Prime. Yeah, that's weak. That uh, Prime though, I like the Prime drawing. I don't know who West is. You know, this artist is not somebody. I'm West is drawing with, like all that shit. But oh, I forgot about this. Also, man, create a new character. <laughs> Black Knight is your front and center character. You're doomed. It just goes to show you, like, like the withholding nature, right? Like, they're not going to have, like, they're not going to... This isn't going to sell ever. They're not going to prop up, the, you know, these characters that they just bought with, like, something, you know, Spider-Man. Here's another one. Like, talk about generic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable trash. All right. Dynamic duo. Jim Lee gets inside the head of legendary writer Chris Claremont. This is kind of neat because it's by Jim Lee. Yeah, he, he conducts the interview. Yeah, so I, I, I like that. And uh, I had always assumed there was some friction with those guys when Claremont left X-Men. So it's kind of cool to see them like talking shop and at least getting along here. 
Um, I don't know how much stuff, I don't know what you pulled out of this, if there's some standout stuff for you, but it's interesting to me because we talk about some of these people who, okay, you've been, you've been a, you've been a jobber yeah. for 10 or 15 years and now you go do your image book and it doesn't make sense because like your yeah. skill set isn't necessarily building a new universe or a new world. And I feel like there's some of that whenever Claremont is talking Huntsman and also, um, Superior Seven, where it's kind of Sovereign, like, Sovereign Seven, where it's kind of like, I don't know, man. I don't get the world in either of these. So for me, for me, there's a lot to pull. Um, first off, Chris Claremont. You said you know you thought there was friction or whatever. Chris Claremont just wrote some 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 Wildcats for Jim Lee to draw, and it was a highly publicized thing. That represents the last Jim Lee comics I ever bought. Like like from that period of like buying. Yeah, comics. I bought those. Those are the last Jim Lee. Like so, when you show off your DV8 or whatever the fuck, or um, or that All Star Batman. Like I ne I don't see that shit. I'm done with him. Uh, at that point um all that fanboy talk that i talked about it's kind of apparent here a little bit in one of the questions jim lee asked the question are editors the real writers of comics these days that's which good question goes back with that piece that we just saw with with that avenger stuff and and uh chris claremont parrots the thing talks about the the um pitfalls of of uh work for hire which was his whole career um with jim lee it's so interesting like when he talks about when he asks Chris Claremont about about figuring out different ways for Claremont to kind of kind of get a grasp on on his X Men characters and not, and and not and keep them away from everybody else. And then you think about like the Siege Perilous when the X Men are supposed to be disappeared. It's a business move for him. It's it's a it's a strategy for him to separate the X Men from the rest of the of the of the Marvel universe. You know, like when you read it this way, like that that was a move for him to do that. And so the, the sort of vulgarity of work for hire comics comes up in the conversation. And then, and then Claremont starts talking about his Sovereign 7. I used to call it Sovereign because I didn't know how to say, say that word. Sovereign 7. But what does Chris Claremont do with Sovereign 7 is the deal he works out. He's able to like mix these characters, his creator-owned characters, with the DC universe. So now... He owns a lot of stuff that DC has to approve. He can't do anything with it. He's beholden to DC forever. That's a bad move, but it's it, that's a fanboy thing, you know. And that's and that's not thinking. That's not thinking business. You know what? I, I disagree with that in that it's unknown. That was a weird new business wrinkle. You think like like often I talk about like I think the Deadpool Liefeld deal is the best deal. You know, like that yeah. a creator gets for a creation. This was also a time when DC's doing Milestone and like Vertigo's doing like what they're calling yeah. creator owned. So I think right. it was a lot of like unknown. So if you had an option of like owning characters, especially with Image being explosively successful, I think you take it and maybe don't think about like what is the actual future of this? Like suddenly I can't do it, I can't reprint stuff. No, no, stuff. no. Like, like you're, not, you're not hearing what I'm saying, man. Like, yeah, okay, so he made the deal that say Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon did. Yeah, we have this creator owned thing. But at least if you keep it to your you don't have superman in it like now you definitely need so, so let's say it's unknown preacher deal is unknown but they're not injecting green lantern in it where you're definitely gonna have to get approval mm. to have green lantern in your image comic you know or your 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 random house book you know what i'm saying that's that's bad foresight on his part because like when in the universe are you going to be allowed to have superman in your Fantagraphics book. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that was, that's a dumb move. 
Yeah, that you're not, not reprinting that without permission. Exactly. And with re permission comes comes VIG, you know, like, like DC's going to want a piece of that. So there was some good stuff to take away, but... That Huntsman thing, the story that you talk about being like the last Jim Lee that you bought, yeah. that was a crossover too with Cyberforce. So you get Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee drawing your character. And Claremont's in that Amazing Heroes before Image he publishes a book. He's, he's in Wizard he's Magazine. He's going to be part of that group. Yeah. And that was his character. And it was, was going to be him and Wills. It just doesn't work. Like over and over, it doesn't work. And he finally gets that character to show up, you know, like a four-part crossover with two of the top artists. That character was like so generic it's right? a, it's a punisher it was with a sword yeah so so it so it becomes it becomes this too and remember almost nothing about yeah, him it becomes the swordsman character that that uh rob uses for the avengers books you know it's the same deal same guy got weird collar and we said it before with like uh hardcore the the uh the vertigo no the valiant series that jim lee did the cover for issue one if jim lee from this era can't make your character cool yes troubles and they gave some good money shots to that huntsman character but it's just a dude with a pat sajak parted hairdo with some knife blades man yeah yeah i don't remember too much about him but i uh, didn't make the splash i was i was psyched for that like i wasn't buying those books and i bought it because highly of that promoed. And, and yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. too good highly promoted um i also get interested in reading these wizards where it's like oh shit this problem they're talking about is exactly like i hear people talk about this today on the internet do you think there's too much material out on the stands? Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a conversation that continues to be had, and uh, I don't know the answer to that. You know, like I always say, it's it's hard to complain about too much good stuff because with volume, you know, your percentages just play out. But also, like there is so much stuff. Yeah, you know, like I mean, you you have the conversation too long, it becomes gatekeeper talk. So like, the cream rises always. You know, like the good, the best, the best stuff, uh, always kind of like pushes ahead hey i've been uh, critical of all these different like uh ultraverse and stuff i'm not afraid to say new men totally generic looking as well and then whenever i read the sovereign seven descriptions of like cascade and cruiser and rampart again like none of this stuff sounds appealing and none it, of it looks good none of it sounds good yeah and it feels like it it doesn't feel um honest on on and i love chris claremont but like it feels like he's trying to make a comic that the kids will like Man, I don't know what kids, because let me read Finale's description. Can hold her breath underwater and withstand the ocean's pressures. <laughs> Are you trying to sell it? Right. Wild. Manga scene, talking about some uh, early anime breakthroughs. Yeah, and this will be the stuff that comes to the States. You know, like, it's cool talking to Jeff Darrow of, like, front being from that that area that period where he would see akimba the white lion on um uhf mm -hmm. and uh sp what do they call it here they like because because we call it um sp space battleship yamoto but they call it space cruiser yamoto mm -hmm. here so maybe the language isn't completely uh codified what what's real fascinating right here yes is that there are video stores that are getting straight up like you remember back in the day you would rent a tape and there would be that fbi blurb on the beginning and you just like never pay attention to that like apparently they had not, they, that was part of their gig you know like bringing funds into the feds by busting bootleggers we've seen this though like talked about in past columns yeah of trying to crack down on these bootleggers and like this is a story of a video store in new york city getting shut down and confiscated like they're really doing it. yeah that's that's like their whole deal and and uh it's it's a interesting conversation because uh you 
you need people to know about something and clearly there's no deals being made in the states so this whole store is able to crop up and and you know spread the word so on one hand you need that help to like spread the word you know peter peter chung was on the channel and he got he got hold of the the cobra animated series from from the super early 80s or late 70s and it fully influenced him on on aeon flux but he got those bootlegged um so you know did those ever come to the states i don't think so because almost everything that comes to the states gets it gets an english translation i don't think there's an english translation of anything but like one movie um so you need it but then you know when you get it then you start to flex your your muscles but one of the things that got uh taken down was that selling clamshells with a ninja scroll before it had the, the translation and i would absolutely have bought that shit yeah this kind of went through i remember comic book uh conventions in our, in our having friend, it in like the early 2000s i feel like there was a crackdown things got so out of hand that there would be these booths and i remember seeing seeing these guys at, at pittsburgh comic-con i have a bunch of black clamshells over there of stuff um when when movies that came out just before vhs was a thing the deals that they signed were bad deals and you could not get Eraserhead on VHS legally. Yeah. You could not get um, Wild Style on VHS legally. The deals were not made with the weird distributors. And I know Charlie Ahern, the director of Wild Style, in the back of um, Source Magazine, there was a personal ad where you can send away to get Wild Style. It was an anonymous P.O. box. It was Charlie Ahern. He did it. So some of that stuff, come like maybe the Black Clamshell fucking eraser head I have over there. Da David Lynch got the money on that maybe. But guys sort of getting too wild with it, man. And when during our friendship, like you and me, um, dudes were selling like um, R. Kelly sex tapes and shit with somebody who's presumably 14. Like they got these tapes and it's like, what the fuck world are we living in right now where you guys are just getting in no trouble, put like having all this kind of stuff and I think a lot of that was an inspiration for the feds to like bust them is like having shit like that where they're like, I got to see like what other tapes you, you fucking assholes have. This is so important to me, man. I was, I was, I got this. I still have this on tape. I still have this on tape. This black magic M66 is probably the most kind of cogent Masamuni Shiro. Interesting. It's, it's one hour. Like, so you could tell, but if it's four, if it's a uh, 1495, you're getting like an hour or half hour. Um, but it's for, like the comic. It's the most like you could understand it so easy. Got both of the devil mans, the Gona guy shits. That is a Faust cover. <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, this logo, this manga video logo. Yeah. If you erase the video, there were magazine-sized tank girls that collected Hewlett Tank Girl. That was like the logo, uh, that's and cool. it was called manga. It makes me want to like get out and scan it and really look if that's the exact same logo, like if they're connected. I think it, it probably was that company. All right, man. Palmer's picks always the highlight of Wizard for me, and this time looking at Harvey Picar and his wife Joyce Brabner's comic books output. So Harvey Picar, what can you say? One of the great auto bio self publishers. Um, you know, one of those things. If you if you thought about the influential comics, American Splendor. Splendor really kind of I don't know how you have comics history without that book yeah you know that's a huge one so um, after going through cancer he and Joyce Brabner collaborate on our cancer year a uh, graphic novel that probably pushed some of his work into bookstores and you know a, a self-publisher who had kind of a mainstream 
audience appeal in some ways. David Letterman appearances and things. All on the strength of And the, now he gets book distro with it. No, no, no. Like, he gets it way earlier because the reason you get on David Letterman is because he made the deal with Doubleday. And his, the, with the Drew Friedman cover, man, like, that shit was in bookstores before any of that talk. Like, he enjoyed that 1986. Oh, boom. interesting. Because he was a part of that shit. And that's the stuff that... It, it wasn't David Letterman finding some douchebag with these like little self-published nonsense comics. It was the Doubleday deal. And they probably made the first deals to get him on Letterman. And then his personality kind of keeps him there. But, uh, you know, this is a guy that brought me into the game. Um, and he would just show up in the oddest places. So, so Comic Book Confidential, first time I ever saw the, the dude. And it was he was reading one of the Crumb stories. So you know that it just looks good and all that. So he's on my mind that way. And then, uh, and then, um, like, this might be the second time that I, that I see his stuff. Well, no, Comic Book Confidential. Then I see that Double Day book with the, with the Drew Friedman cover in the stores when I'm looking for comics. I see this, uh, and then some years later, and, and I get these things, you know, that's Joe Zabel, uh, Gary Dumb. Yeah. You know, Windfall, maybe. Uh, and I think yeah, that's supposed it to, is windfall. Yeah, and I think that's supposed to be Dave Letterman. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> those guys are a little rough. Uh, I like them, but they're a little rough. Uh, so then, you know, I start picking up the Dark Horse stuff because it's easier to get, easier to find and things. And then uh, my parents, like my dad would do like a lot of travel and not go anywhere because like, you know, you accrue frequent flyer miles, but he would never like take my mom on a trip they just weren't those kind of people so there's this like service that you get in like probably junk mail or something where you can use your you could sell them your or trade them your frequent flyer miles for magazine subscriptions and we always would get like so many magazine subscriptions so like already like i'm out of the cubert school and my folks got a subscription to like entertainment weekly and crumb like american splendor crumb strips like new ones are showing up in entertainment weekly then and then he's talking about the forthcoming American Splendor flick. And I'm like, what? That fucking blows my mind. So then go see the flick and all that. And on the strength of the flick, I go back to my Dark Horse American Splendors that I got on the strength of being re-sort of energized on the comic from this article. Uh, it has a photo cover of Harvey. And it has that like fake laser printing like when you had a Time Magazine subscription and it would, you know, the dot matrix printer. It had Harvey P. Carr, P.O. Box, yada, yada, yada. Like that's the one that I used to send a dude comics. And I never, they never got bounced back, returned to sender. It went somewhere and it didn't yeah, right. leave. Sent two rounds of that to Harv and that's when I get the call, dude. That's amazing. But it, it comes, it kind of comes from this in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good coverage. Because again, like if you're reading Wizard, I don't know that... There's much Harvey Picar mentioned before this one. It's true, and and Joyce makes it a point too, like the like the art cancer year piece. Like they they both write the thing, and she, you know, when you talk about like art therapy, uh, we I I think we've had this conversation a lot. Maybe not necessarily on the record, but talking about like like comics is art therapy, and how it it might not actually be the best, the best use, uh, like or like, it's it's hard to imagine that you sit there all day slaving over comics how that's almost anything but like wallowing in misery and they actually kind of acknowledge that and they're not saying that it was like a ther therapeutic thing necessarily it's like no like we, we're sort of reliving it and you know for better or worse which is kind of almost like that could be the name of like American Splendor's ironic title but if it were being 
super honest, it would probably be like For Better or Worse would be a good title for the series. Recommended reading. We mentioned the Book of Ballads and Sagas, which is the Charles Vest book that's coming up. So it does get some shine. But Schizo, Ivan Brunetti's... Schizo. Schizo from Ivan Brunetti, which uh, I always knew as Fanographics, originally published by Antarctic Press, Absolutely. which I had no idea it was Antarctic Press. Yeah, for sure. Ben Dunn, the publisher of uh, of uh, Ninja High School, he he did some shit. Like, first off, he did our Homeboys comic, man. Jason Lex, the, yep. like the, the awful science fair. He did that. But he did uh, around this time, and, and we'll get there within the next couple of issues, maybe. Uh, box office poison. Alex Robinson. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he 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 did the first three, and it's the one with like super tiny Ivan Brunetti head, like talking to Jesus or something, and just lettering, 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 <laughs> lettering, where he's where he's giving Jesus the what for. That's funny. Uh, totally. Antarctic Press. The guys who brought you Ninja High School. It's <laughs> wild. And that's all pretty right. much it, man. Yeah. Anything else stand out? Top ten as usual. Although you see all the all the uh, the. The Bad Girl art is big, X-Force is big, and Quesada with uh, self-publishing there with Jimmy Palmiotti and Ash number one making an appearance. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting to note, like, two Marvel books, no DC books. Yeah. and Kind of gives you a snapshot of where things are, I think. Yeah, but but there's so much editorialism, and you just can't take any of that uh, too, too seriously. Um, Paul Smith on Doctor Strange. Which is the good and cheap. So a lot of people call this out as being great. It's probably not so cheap anymore, but like a lot of people want us to do this. Uh, I'd be curious to look Strange. at that. There's some, there's some, uh, there's some interesting Doctor Strange art over the years. Like I just pulled, I think issue 50, and it's Marshall Rogers penciling and coloring. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff there. Boy, these picks, wow. Talk about a bunch of books that I don't think look too good. I mentioned Treehouse of Horror earlier. That would be my pull out of this group, mm -hmm. but. Tough time for comics. Yeah, I think we've pieces. said it in some of the past um, episodes, but like when you think of why comics really suffer in the '90s, I don't think it's just distribution. No, it's true. And then and then like it's like like um, the this era of of uh, Daredevil is is they're just dragging this character down further and further and further and making him shittier and shittier and more and more goth and 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 just uh, sad and dopey and all this. And so what's going to come after this is like. I think it's Kurt Busiek and uh, Carrie Nord put a different spin on that character and make him kind of more, they just, they fully redo it and, and like make him kind of more, he, you see smiles on Matt Murdock's face every now and then. And, and it's, and it celebrates a lot of attention um, pretty soon because it's just like, we're done with that daredevil. Like, yeah. like you've dragged him through the ringer so much Scud is at issue nine, and there was some talk like the first couple issues are uh, going for big money uh, at this point. Yeah, so. it's one of those kind of breakthrough uh, self-published books. Yeah, getting up, making a little bit of noise. J. Scott Campbell um, praising Umberto Ramos's art on Impulse, um, foreshadowing to yeah. what we're going to see in Cliffhanger, right? Totally. Also, he, Ghost in the Shell shout out for the two books that he he calls attention to, which makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, shouts to the wizard designer for squeezing his head like a lima bean uh, into into that space. <laughs> really fucking stupid. So many '90s fonts all throughout the the. And how hard setting. are they pushing these Cubert? We've got almost probably a dozen pages spread out in this issue, including the cover of promoting these cards. Absolutely. There's an ego column, and that's about it. Yeah, I was gonna say anything. Hot writers, hot artists. Nothing, nothing too shocking there. 
Um, Stephen Hughes makes the list from, from Lady Death and uh, Evil Ernie, so that's kind of cool to see his name on there. Bill Tucci at number three. <laughs> he must buy some fruit baskets for the wizard offices on a daily basis or something. Top 100, the only non-Marvel stuff I see. Spawn 36 is coming in at number three. Gen 13 is coming in at number six. And Spawn Blood Feud. So Spawn continuing to be a hot book. Yeah. And uh, Gen 13, the other breakout at the time from, from Image that really seemed to connect with uh, readers or buyers. Yes, and, and uh, like the little spot illustration that was uh, along with that top 100 was uh, Joe Matarera really getting into his own with, uh, with X-Men. All right, Ego. It's funny, I had no idea this column ran as long as it did. Yeah, me neither. Um, because again, like I was pretty checked out by this point. But he had asked people to write about some stuff, what they didn't want to see in comics, and um, talking about their comic book stores and what, what makes them love their comic book stores. So, overwhelming response. I think he was giving away some signed stuff. And this is just a list of people who have sent stuff in, and I think he might have pulled three people randomly for who gets to win prizes. Uh, variant covers, no-go, crossovers, all right once in a while, but kind of a lukewarm response. Um, bring in new characters is something that people wanted so and don't kill spawn which i think is just taking shots at some of the gimmicks that, that the big two were doing at the time right and then pretty straightforward people describing just good comic book stores friendly service helpful well stocked yeah todd is todd is done like i like i feel like if this ain't the last ego column uh maybe you know within the next month or two he's done because like he didn't he, he doesn't write anything it's just he's he has his own letters column in the pages of Wizard. Uh, movie coverage. Move to the back of the book. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom Lyle is your wizard profile and pretty straightforward. I didn't, didn't pull anything out of there. He likes Eric Clapton a lot. G.I. Rambot. <laughs> Got several copies of that. That was one of his early efforts. Wow. Ed. I thought this was going to be a short episode of Wizard. What happened? You know, it is a lot to complain about, I guess. It inspires conversation, Jimmy. It sure does. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of this is new for me because I was, I was kind of. This is me checking out a comic. So yeah. a lot of the Wizard coverage that we'll have going forward will be me from kind of a somewhat removed perspective looking back at it. Just like with the Dave Lapham. The Dark Ages for me. Yeah, just like with the Dave Lapham piece, you would have these sort of oases uh, in the pages. And we still have forthcoming in future issues. We have the Todd Klein lettering uh, piece, which is which is amazing. You keep teasing it, man. I'm looking forward to it. Greg Capullo might have a couple more, but he's going to tag team um, Adam Warren into the I look the mix. forward to that. That sounds good to me. I, and then, uh, you know, your mileage may vary, but it was a very cool kind of tutorial to see done. Uh, you see Randy Bowen take take Super Sculpey to a final Boba Fett sculpture that is just fucking amazing. Um, in the midst of all the feces and stuff, I, 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 I think... Um, I think maybe Scott McDaniel starts to get like a regular feature where he's doing like his Scott McCloud. Oh, okay. Uh, his, I always do that. Uh, he's going to have a regular feature where he's doing his guy, like talking about a new wing of comics. Sometimes it's manga. I find it interesting, and I don't know what future issues are going to be like, but there's not a lot in this issue. There's you know really what not. I mean? Like there, there's very little in terms of content, and even the ads, because we criticize ads, it makes me conscious of how many ads are we looking at. We used to see ads where it'd be like, there's a dozen publishers putting out, you know, pay, paying for, for uh, space in this magazine. And now we're down to a couple. Techno Comics and Valiant. And I mean, 
you know, even Marvel put, putting the Ultraverse in there could have been a legacy deal that, that the Ultraverse had, that Malibu had, that they're just honoring. Because I don't see a lot of Marvel ads. The sure. ads that are in there are cards. Right. Yeah, they're still trying to do that card thing. Like, like there's a business for that because of those, like, magic. Magic was such yeah. a... And, I mean, these card games persist. You know, people love these Pokemon uh, games and things. And, and everybody had their card game for a while. Uh, it, it it spawned a third magazine for Wizards to, Toy Fair, and then there was the um the the card one, whatever the Inquest, I think mm-hmm. it was called. So you know they you know what we did skip over in here is they talk about the upcoming McFarland toys, and there are all, all kind of plans like that thing. As as ego is uh, winding down, and he's letting fans write his ego column. I think he's doing toy shit like berserk. Yeah, because they've got like Wetworks. Youngblood has another wave. There are all the Spawn toys coming out, and I think I'm forgetting one more. And it's just like, geez, man, he has like seasons of toys planned that are that are outlined in here. So I think the McFarland toy stuff, high gear. Yeah. At, at this point, totally it became overwhelming. Like like as a as a consumer, like and I, I wonder first... if that spins off because there's the toy magazine too, and I wonder if that's up and running because there's a it little is. bit less toy coverage in here than I would expect, given what I think is a hot market. Yeah, we talked about that on previous episodes because they did a, their piece yeah. about how it becomes a thing. Anyhow, man, it's crazy '90s, man. Documented <sighs> in the pages. Of Wizard Magazine. Education for me. And there is a whole grip, dozens of people in uh, a live stream chat room watching us as we record, uh, talking about the various comics that uh, so, some of them, some of the people out there might have had to uh, jump on eBay right away to go buy their uh, <laughs> their uh, Ultraverse comic or something. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you buying out of what we just looked at? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they're making it so that I can't, I could still no longer get those Charles Vest comment, if few ballad of whatever that was on, on eBay, man. But we have a Patreon uh, where, depending on your level of support, you're getting all the videos uh, that we put up each week before uh, Gen Pop gets to see them. That link is in the description below. But Jimmy, what else do we have out there, man? We have books out there, Ed. You guys can pick up My Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, and The Plain Janes out in print right now. Hulk Grand Design will be out February 22nd. Pre-order that one if you didn't already because there are a finite number of those copies. So reserve yours today. And Street Angel, Princess of Poverty, you can pre-order now. Coming soon from Image Comics. And finally, join me on Patreon.com slash Jim Rugg where you can see more of my comics and art. And you can download out-of-print zines and minis there. Red Room is the focus uh, right now for me. Uh, I have two trade paperbacks of that out in the wild right now. Red Room Trigger Warnings or Red Room The Antisocial Network. It's a 10-year anniversary of hip-hop family trees. Get those comics uh, while, while you can. X-Men Grand Design still on the racks. And WYSIWYG you might be able to find if you, you look deep enough. But support the work uh, so that we can keep making these videos. And I'm serializing new Red Room comics on my on my Patreon for three bucks. You get the archive, new strips every Tuesday. Hit the link tree so that you could uh, get to all those links and destinations. Jimmy, tell the people what else is out there, man. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also pick up Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, mugs, hats, fanny packs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is also under the video. Another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Give them those marching orders and we'll be on our way. Read more comics.